Well, anyway, I wanted I want to begin the, this morning. Um, you know, we've already had a few things said about Christmas, and I think they're very appropriate. But I I, I saw this this past week, and I, I wanted to share this with you. I think it's really good. It says, "Christmas is the promise, but the resurrection is the proof." Isn't that the truth? I really like that, and I you know, and I it I wanted to share that with you because I. I really thought, wow, that, that, that hits the nail right on the head. Um, also, I think that um, if you are like me, I know that it's only natural that stressed out people should eat more desserts. <laughs> because if you didn't notice this before, you're going to know it now and you'll, you'll understand and you'll agree with me. The word stressed, when it's spelled backwards, spells desserts. <laughs> so if that's true, there's a lot of stress between Thanksgiving and New Year. So eat up, guys. Just just eat as eat as many desserts as you want. You know that's fine. Um, and I, I I found this website. There's a website called Statistic Brain, and what it does is it, it tracks the must-have Christmas gifts over the past few decades. I want, to, I want to test your memories to see if you know any of these. In 1983, everyone had to have what? What's that? Nope. Yes, that's right. The Cabbage Patch doll. It was, it was the number one gift for 1983. In 1985, we just had to have, what was it? $18. A pound puppy. (laughs) Yes, you remember that. In 1989, American households scrambled to get the new Game Boy, followed by, in 1995, the craze that went around, which was what? Beanie Babies, who said that? (laughs) That's right, the Beanie Babies. So the Beanie Baby craze in 1995. In 1996, does anybody remember what that one was? Woo! That's right, the Tickle Me Elmo. (laughs) That is funny. And you knew that, Dan. (laughs) Do you have one? Okay, then in the ensuing years, American consumers knocked themselves out to buy the following top yearly must-have Christmas gifts. In 2002, it was the new iPod. In 2006, it was the Wii. Anybody have a Wii? Um, and in 2010, it was the Kindle. And this surprised me in 2011. Does anybody know what 2011 brought? I was kind of surprised by this one. The Angry Birds board game. (laughs) Go figure. You know, I I don't know. Um, In 2013, this is my this is my favorite. Does anybody know what 2013? Doc McStuffins doll. (laughs) And then and then of course in 2015, anybody know that one? It was the frozen sing-along Elsa doll. Anybody have one of those? <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of funny that, you know, the all the Christmas 
different Christmas gifts and, and the fads every year. You know, I've, I just remember those Cabbage Patch dolls and those Beanie Babies. That was such a major fad at the time. I mean, there were adults who had those Cabbage Patch dolls and would carry them around as if they, what's that? Okay, well, that, yeah, well, I, I tell you what, there's so many people who do have them. But I knew of one lady who carried it around as if it was her child. <laughs> but that's how, that's how big it was at that time. And Beanie Babies, holy cow, Beanie Babies galore. How many of you still have some of those Beanie Babies? Okay, yeah, there's a few of you out there that do. Well, I want to share with you the eight responses that 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 um, you receive from giving a weird gift. You know, the, these are the eight responses. Number eight, it says this. Well, 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 now there's a gift. <laughs> Number seven says, no, really, I didn't know that, that they made Chia Pets in ties. Oh, oh, and it's even a clip-on. <laughs> you know, I always wanted one of these. Jog my memory. Um, What's it called again? (laughs) And then it says, you know what? I'm going to find a special place in my house to put this. (laughs) Maybe in the garage or up in the, uh, you know. Uh, Boy, you don't see craftsmanship like that every day. And then number three is, and it's such an interesting color too. Number two says, you say that that was the last one? Well, boy, I'm glad you snapped that baby up in a heartbeat, man. (laughs) And then the number one thing to say about the gifts that you don't like is this. You shouldn't have. No, really, really, I mean it. You shouldn't have. (laughs) You know, Christmas is, is probably one of the happiest days of the year for many folks. You know, we talked earlier about it. Some, for some, it's really a difficult time. But for many around the world, for millions of young and old alike, this, this special day brings such joy and happiness. <clears throat> Christmas Day is a special day. It really is. You know, and, and what's interesting is, is that for that day, all the stores are closed. That's amazing to me. Just that one day, but all the stores are closed. They don't close for Thanksgiving anymore. They they don't close for Easter. They don't close. But for that day, it's such a special day. You know, there is gladness. There's singing. You know, there's decorations. I love the decorations. Did you see the decorations this morning? That Paul's guitar was lit up with those lights. I like, and then there was lights over here. I saw around around the cocoon there, and then the lights there. The decorations, you know, it's just awesome. And of course, there will be that special meal. How many of you are already starting to prepare that meal? Yep, some of you are. Yep, and so you'll have that special meal um, with wonderful desserts. And remember, desserts spell back as stress, so you eat as many desserts as you think you need to. And then, of course, you're going to have those visits from your relatives, you know. You know, uh, so many, so many visits from your relatives. You know, there, there are some of the things that, that, that make Christmas Day a day to remember. It's a special day for you. You know, it's kind of funny. I was, I was sitting there thinking, okay, if I live to be 75, that means I have 12 more Christmases left. Or 13. No, 12. 
the 13th. <laughs> I don't have that many Christmases left to celebrate, you know, and so I guess I'll get to spend them in heaven with the Lord celebrating his birth there. But see, for the Christian, Christmas means a lot more than just gifts or decorations, doesn't it? It really, it really does. Christmas is a, is a great day of joy. It's a great day of victory. It's a great day of deliverance for every believer. It's a day, it's a day of deliverance. Dr. Robert Lee has said this. He said, Christmas is the joyous celebration of eternity's intersection with time. And I agree with that. Because see, here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And he's quoting from the King James Version. He says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. That's what God did. In the fullness of time, when when the time was just right, he sent Jesus. And yes, the first Christmas celebration ever held was because of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Any other reasons for celebrating Christmas are false, they're foolish, and maybe even sacrilegious. But you know what? Here's the thing. Let's go back in our minds to the night when Jesus was born. On that first Christmas, there were all the elements of what I call a magnificent worship service. And it wasn't done in a church, but a magnificent worship service. But what we do know about the first Christmas service is this. And we're going to talk about that. i got four things I want to share with you today. So I want to look for a few moments at the gospel writer Luke to see what he has to say about this important night. Because I think it's one of the greatest nights, the most important nights in all of history. It truly is. The first thing that we read about is the audience on that first Christmas night. The audience. Who were the people? Who was the audience on that first Christmas night? Well, here's what Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. To me, that's remarkable. That is absolutely remarkable. The greatest story of all the ages came to common, hardworking shepherds. The life of a shepherd was not an easy one. Their work was, it demanded long hours. It meant cold nights and separation from their families. They, they earned their living watching sheep in this rough and rugged land, a land that was inhabited with big and wild animals. I mean, absolutely big and wild animals. Authorities, though, tell us that these shepherds probably did not even own the sheep that they tended to. Did you know that? They probably didn't own them. Rather, they were lowly, ill-clad, hired hands, of the religious leaders who raised animals for sacrifice in the temple. I didn't know that until I did my research on that. But that was a possibility. You know, so the greatest story of history came not to the line of of Levites that were the, 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 the priests. It didn't come to the scholarly religious leaders like the scribes and the Pharisees or to the Roman governor, or or to even King Herod himself. It came to the shepherds in the hills. That's what it came to. So the question is, but why did God announce such great news 
to these humble men, these humble laborers, these shepherds. Why do you think that is? Were, were they the only people that were up that late at night? Like some of you? You would have been the ones. You late, how many of you are late night folks here? I know, I know there's some of you here, okay. So you would have been the ones. If that's what the, if that's the reasoning behind it. I think he announced it to them because what God does is he delights He delights to reveal his good news to the least of them, the lowly, the least of them. I think that's what he likes to do. Here's what Abraham Lincoln once said. I love this. He said this, God must love the plain people because he made so many of them. I'm a plain, I'm a plain people. (laughs) So he, he made so many of them. The apostle Paul wrote saying this, this is what he says, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth, of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Notice what he says there. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's a great passage there. Isn't this how God often works, folks? Why do you think that is? Why do you think he works like that? Why do you think he works like that? I think it's so that no flesh should glory in themselves. Not at all. That no mortal man may boast, as as Paul was saying there. Can you imagine how a public relationship firm would have handled the the birth event. Man, there would have been billboards everywhere. There would have been lights. There would have been a light show. There would have been all these commercials, you know, hey, come and see the, the newborn king, you know. But that's not the way God operates. You know, it certainly would have been the opposite approach that God took. That's for sure. So think about it. When God chose a, a leader for Israel, he found Moses on the backside of the desert. And he chose him. When he chose a king, it was the youngest son of the smallest tribe. And he chose David. Of all the people, of all the the sons, he chose David. When Jesus chose his 12 disciples, who did he choose? He chose fishermen and tax collectors. That's who he chose. Often he chose the humble and the lowly. So could it be that the shepherds of the first Christmas were chosen to receive the angel's message because they were humble men of simple origin? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I believe so. You know, there's, there's something rugged and real about the common man. There is an honesty which can can respond to God's revelation in a genuine way, and I think that's why he chose them. But more, to choose the shepherds 
on the first Christmas was also fitting because Jesus, if you remember, Jesus often pictured himself as what? As the good shepherd. He often pictured himself like that. Jesus says in John's gospel, uh, John 10, 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That's what he tells them. And here's what the apostle Peter had to say. In, in 1 Peter 5, 4, he says, And when Christ, and when the chief shepherd appears, the chief shepherd, notice what he says there, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That chief shepherd is Jesus. That's what he's talking about there. If you go back to Luke chapter 15, remember the, the Luke chapter 15, it was the shepherd who went looking for and seeking to save that one lost sheep. He left the 99 and he went looking for that one lost sheep. Incredible as it may seem, the first audience at the first Christmas service was made up of rough, rugged, lowly, simple shepherds. The second thing that we read about at the first Christmas is the preacher. Who's the preacher? I'm not an angel, but this one was. He was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was the preacher. In in Luke's gospel, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, what, what a contrasting sight that must have been. The lowly shepherds confronted by the angel of the Lord. And when the angel came upon them, the shepherds sensed that they were in the presence of God. And, that, and, and that's what the glory of the Lord shining around them signified. It, it, was the, it was the glory of the Lord. You see, to any Jew, to any Jew, the presence of God was thought of as a, a great light known as the Shekinah glory. Have you heard of the Shekinah glory? Absolutely. And so any Jew thinking of that, noticing that, that glory of God, that, that great light, it's the Shekinah glory. This, this symbolic light began back in the days of the tabernacle in the wilderness. You know, man could not see God himself because if he did, he would surely die. But he could see the light of God's presence. Remember when Moses went up into the mountains and came back down, he was glowing. That was that Shekinah, the, 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 the wearing, the rubbing off of, from God onto Moses, that, that Shekinah glory that he, he shone. He was bright. I don't know how that would have looked. Probably been pretty scary to look upon, but that's what it was. So at that, at the first Christmas service, the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and they were suddenly surrounded by the glory of the Lord. They were surrounded by it. And oh, that we today, folks, that we today might be aware of God's glory like that. That we would be aware of his glory. God has revealed himself. He has intervened in time and space. The shepherds saw the revelation of God's presence and they were absolutely terrified. Linus, remember? We showed up here. Linus quotes the King James Version in the, in the Charlie Brown Christmas and says that they were what? They were sore. Well, does that mean they were stiff or they were what? They were sore afraid. They were sore afraid. 
They were overcome with fear because their sinfulness was so obvious in the pure light of God's glory. Man. So, of course, they would be terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified? I would have been terrified. I mean, you're sitting out in the dark. We just saw that this past week on Wednesday night. They were just sitting out in the dark, and then all of a sudden the wind blew, and then all of a sudden this light just came in. And who wouldn't be afraid of that? The holy presence of God always strikes conviction in sinful men and women. Absolutely does. You know, Job experienced that fear when he said this. In Job chapter 42, verse 5, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's what he said. That's how he felt. Isaiah 2 when he saw the glory of God filling the temple, this is what he said in Isaiah 6, 5. He said, woe to me. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And that's immediately what you would think, you know, coming into the presence and the glory of God, it invokes such things like that. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man presents such a contrast that man must shrink away in awe because of God's glory. And the shepherds were afraid as the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were afraid. They were terrified. They were sore afraid, as it says. Leads us to this third thing that we read about at the first Christmas. It was the message that the angel of the Lord delivered to them. Notice what it says. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. See, right there, he breaks the ice. Don't be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Wow. See, At the very moment of the shepherd's fear came the joyous message of Christmas. Absolutely. Fear not, for unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, the gospel is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and and he is the cure for fear. We don't need to fear. You know, a certain degree of fear is a a normal reaction in life. In fact, it often protects us from wrong to have a little bit of fear. Like, okay, I'm not going to jump out of that airplane because um, it's like 3,000 feet down. No, I'm not going to do that. I just read the other day where someone jumped out of the airplane and forgot to put their parachute on. They didn't live long. That's unfortunate. But it's those kind of fears that keep us from from the wrong. But abnormal fear, on the other hand, what it does is it tangles with the mind. It destroys peace and it drains our energies. Most people commit suicide than than, than die of the five most communicable diseases that are are found on this earth. More people commit suicide than than, die from those diseases. Why? Well, it's because of abnormal fears. You know, one half of the hospital beds in the United States are occupied by mental patients 
And many of those patients suffer from abnormal fears. You know, a well-known doctor recently said that 60% of his patients could cure themselves if they could get rid of their fears. What is the medicine for fear? Is there a medicine for fear? You better believe there is. It's the message of Christmas. That's the message, that a Savior is born, a Savior who can forgive you of your sins, a Savior who can give you new life, a Savior who can strengthen you, guide you, and bring order and purpose into your life. Because what I think is a lot of times is that a lot of people don't have purpose in their life. And so they just, they just squander their life. They just, they, they just sit there in their fears and, and they can't go anywhere. Paul wrote these words in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. That's what he tells us. You know, the, the angel's message at that first Christmas service was, Fear not. Don't be afraid. And in this day of fear, in, in our day and age of fear, it's the fear of death, the fear of war, the, the fear of one another, you know, the fear of viruses, all those things that we fear, the message is more relevant than it ever has been before. But after stressing the negative fear not, the angel proclaimed the positive words of the Christmas message. This is what he says. He says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That first Christmas message was one of great joy. And why do you think that is? Well, it's because Jesus came to provide a a way out of our dilemma. Jesus came to provide forgiveness and life everlasting. That's what Jesus came to provide for us. Folks, Christianity overflows with joy. God's people are to be the happiest people that you will find. They're to be the happiest people on the face of this earth. Whatever your capacity is today, God can fill you with himself. He can do that. King David wrote these words in Psalm chapter 32, verses 10, 11. He says, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. That's what he tells us. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. That's what he tells us. To the defeated and the discouraged, Jesus spoke these words of joy. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has done that, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that promise is for you as well for every single one of us in this room that promise is for us so be of good cheer be happy do you know victory today have you experienced the joy of that first christmas message you know the new testament begins with the angels singing 
a message of comfort and closes with God's children singing joyously around God's throne. It starts and ends. True Christianity abounds with joy. So I guess the question is, do you know this contagious, unbelievable, holy joy? Do you have that in your life? If you don't, we need to. Then the fourth thing, the last thing this this morning I want to share with you is this, is that the fourth thing we read about at the first Christmas that I think often gets neglected is the response, the response to the message. It has to do with the fact that those common shepherds, they had to act upon what they heard on, the, on, on that night so long ago. You know, there, there was a response at the first Christmas service. It was a great thing to hear the news concerning the birth of the Savior, but merely knowledge wasn't enough for them. Could those shepherds have gone back to their business as usual after hearing the announcement from the angel? I don't think so. How could they? They they could never, ever be the same again after hearing that message. So what did they do? They, They made an immediate decision. And Luke tells us that they hurried to see and tell. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, When the angel had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. That's what they did. They didn't ask questions. You know, they were fully persuaded and they acted upon the message which had been given to them. You know, it meant, of course, that they had to leave their sheep to go and do this, but obviously they knew what they were about to do was far more important than any flock that they were attending to. So perhaps, folks, perhaps today, you heard the Christmas message. You have realized your need for Jesus. But maybe some of you here today, and I'm not sure, but just maybe some of you here today, um, are reluctant to act upon the good news of Jesus Christ because maybe it's because of your job, or maybe it's because of family, I don't know, or maybe because you think it costs too much to follow, it's too great of a cost. My friends, I want to tell you this right now. You need to leave the sheep behind and come with haste to Christ. You got to do that. Do that this morning. If you don't know Jesus, and I don't know every single one of you where, where you stand with the Lord, if you've given your life over to him in the water gaze of baptism or, or it, how faithful you are, I don't know where you stand. But the Lord does. And maybe this is him saying to you this morning that if you haven't made those decisions, you need to do that this morning. Come in haste. The Bible tells us that the shepherds hurried to the village of Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger from Luke chapter 2, verse 16. God rewarded them with the realization of their faith 
For they saw their Messiah, the one who had come to be their Savior. And he has come to be our Savior. We are also told that the shepherds immediately started to do something else. You know what they did? They shared their discovery. That's what they did. The good news was too good to keep to themselves. My friends, I want to tell you something. It is wrong to keep silent when we have met the Savior. It is wrong to do that. We need to be sharing Him with everybody that we come in contact with. We need to share Him with everybody. Luke tells us what the shepherds did. Look what it says. When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Wow. But Luke continues. Here's what else he says in in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. It says that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Wow. They went back to their lives and their jobs. But let me tell you something, folks. They were never the same again. Never the same again. They had been transformed. And see, when you meet the Christ child, when you meet the Savior of the world, praising God becomes a big emphasis in our lives. It really does. Jesus Christ makes the most common of tasks exciting to do glory and praise to god become as natural as breathing does so i got a question for you as the band as you guys make your way up here the question is this how does christmas change or transform your world how does the christmas message change or transform your world it is not through gifts or the or the memories made as important as those things are You know, it's not through the time spent with family, as important as that is. It is not through any kind of trappings of the holiday. And let me tell you, there are a lot of trappings of the holiday out there. Christmas, as most people celebrate it, will not change your world. But Christmas, as the birth of Christ, the Son of God made flesh, the birth of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, can change and transform your world by allowing you to experience genuine agape love by providing you with lasting peace. Peace, as Paul says, that surpasses all understanding and by giving you a purpose in your life, giving you a purpose, the purpose of knowing God, serving God, pleasing God, and making God known to all. That's what we need to be doing. You know, those are major changes And it is the transforming power of the Christ child. Allow Christ to be the reason for and the center of your Christmas celebration. Please allow that. Allow him to be that. And and, and if you do, just see what transformation he will bring to your life. And so as we close our service this morning, I'm going to ask you the same question that I have asked you the last three weeks. And that's this question. Will you make room in your heart for God 
to write his story. Only you can answer for you. Will you make room in your heart for God to write his story? This morning we're going to stand.